Hello, readers. My name is Jason Jeffries, and this is a bookin brought to you by Explore Booksellers, Aspen, Colorado's trusted community bookstore. Wherever you are in the world, it is always good to explore. My guest today is award-winning author Ben Goldfarb. His new book is Crossings, How Road Ecology is Shaping the Future of Our Planet, which is published by our friends at W.W. Norton and Company. Ben, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks a lot for having me, Jason. It's an honor to have you here, Ben. And first, before we jump into your book, uh, I understand that you live here in Colorado. Uh, Where are you in Colorado and how have these past few years of the COVID era been for you? (laughs) <laughs> we're uh, we're down in Salida. Uh we we love it here and you know look there's there's no better place to uh be during any time. I mean let alone a pandemic obviously of course the fishing, the hiking, the mountain biking. You couldn't ask for anything better. So it's uh it's just a spectacular spot and my wife and I are super happy here. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Ben. Uh, Let's now dive into this wonderfully important book, Crossings, uh, one of the New York Times notable books of the year. Um, First, can you take a moment to set this book up for our listeners? Sure. So this this book, Crossings, is is about road ecology, which is Mm. basically this field of science that looks at how roads shape our planet, you know, and the most obvious kind of manifestation of this collision between roads and nature are dead animals, right? Roadkill. You know, we've all seen the dead deer or elk or pronghorn by the side of the highway. And of course, you know, that's a a huge tragedy and, uh, you know, an enormous source of uh, biodiversity loss. But it's also the, it's the tip of the iceberg in a lot of ways when it comes to how roads are, are screwing up uh, our ecosystems. You know, roads are these sources of fragmentation, right? The tr- all this this traffic is a poses barriers to uh, to wildlife migration and movement and, you know, leads to sort of the fragmentation of, uh, of ecosystems. You know, we've got road salt uh, that we apply to our, our highways as de-icers, you know, running off into our rivers and lakes and streams and, uh, you know, turning freshwater brackish. We've got road noise uh, distorting ecosystems in all kinds of ways as well. So this book is really about all of these different ways that roads and nature interact and, and what we do about them. How do we mitigate or or uh, start to manage some of those uh, those negative impacts that we're worried about. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for that answer, Ben. Um now can you tell us about cliff swallows? Uh how are they like rats and cockroaches and how have they adapted to humanity's <laughs> quote unquote technological progress? So cliff swallows are those those birds that who build their mud nests on the undersides of bridges and overpasses, right? We've probably all driven under them at some point. So they're you know they're animals that like like uh, those those rats and cockroaches you mentioned, you know, are really good at taking advantage of human civilization and and the resources that we provide them. And you know they're a really cool case study or or an illustration of how roads shape nature in some ways. And they're the the example that I begin the book with because they're actually a species that is evolving uh, due to roads. Uh, You know, basically what researchers have found is that the cliff swallows have become less susceptible to roadkill over time. 
Uh, and the reason for that is that their, their wings are getting shorter. So if you're a bird, having a long wing is good for flying long straight distances and having a short wing is good for maneuverability. You know, all of those tight twists and turns that you need to get out of the way of a, an 18 wheeler. So, you know, what's happening uh, is that the long winged cliff swallows are getting killed by, by cars and trucks and the short winged cliff swallows are surviving. And so the whole population is evolving. I just think that's incredible because, you know, we think of evolution as this process that happens over thousands or millions of years. And yet cars and traffic are such a powerful selective force that uh, in the case of cliff swallows, it's happening in uh, just a few decades. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. Um, more bird deaths are caused by roads every year than by even the most disastrous oil spills, uh, both of these things having to do with automobiles mostly and ultimately. Uh, why aren't we more up in arms about the bird deaths caused by roads? Is this the price of convenience? It's, you know, it's a, it's a great question. I, I think, I think there are a couple things going on with that. I mean, first, you know, birds are just, they're just hard to see by the side of the road, right? That we're, you know, we're driving along at 70 miles an hour, sealed in our little, you know, glass and metal bubbles, uh, you know, perched up, you know, in the cab of our, our F-250 or, or whatever. And we just, you know, don't see all of those little tiny critters. Uh, you know, yeah, we see the, the deer carcasses or at least some of them, but we don't see the, you know, we don't see the birds or the rodents or the, the snakes or the frogs, you know, we don't see the smaller stuff. Uh, so I think, you know, I think, I think that's, that's a, a big, a big part of it is the way that, uh, you know, cars just kind of conceal their own violence in, in some ways. And it's not until you're walking or biking along a highway that you start to notice all of the, you know, the, the dead, smaller critters. And I also think that we we kind of willfully blind ourselves to a lot of those those deaths as well. You know, to to notice them is to feel the the pain of existence constantly. You know, when you look for when you look for roadkill and see it everywhere, you know, you you uh it's it's I don't know, it's kind of a hard way to live in some ways. I feel like I feel like this, you know, writing this book has just made me so much more sensitive to to this this death and carnage that surrounds us all of the time and and uh you know it's it's um it's it's a hard it's a hard thing to notice and i i think we we like to uh pretend it doesn't happen in some cases yeah absolutely um ben do you believe that roads are the routes of all evil as you write <laughs> yeah you know I, I i do i do write that in the book and i i guess that what what I'm sure what I what I mean by that is that you know every form of environmental degradation or habitat loss or or you know biodiversity decline really has roads its center you know in the, in the book I write I write a bit about the Amazon rainforest you know and and that's a kind of a perfect case study in mm -hmm. that uh you know before you can illegally deforest the Amazon you know you need roads to get the uh, the machinery in and get the logs out right that mm -hmm. roads facilitate these processes of of land use change and degradation and and biodiversity loss and you know that's true of mining and uh you know oil and gas drilling and and uh you know every other sort of industrial activity you care to name you know roads facilitate all of those those uh those ecological changes and, and make them possible and and uh you know in the case of the amazon there's a famous quote from a brazilian ecologist who said you know if you want to save the amazon bomb all the roads you know because mm -hmm. because roads are just so central to all of this uh this this degradation that's happening absolutely thank you so much ben listeners we're going to take a break here for a word from libro fm audiobooks and then i'll be right back with ben goldfarb 
The Book and Podcast would like to thank Libro.fm Audiobooks for their sponsorship. Libro.fm has the same audiobooks at the same prices as their major competitor. You know the name. But instead of supporting the Big River, you'll be supporting your favorite neighborhood bookstores. Please head on over to Libro.fm and enter the promo code BOOKIN, that's B-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code space to get one free audiobook and support your favorite local independent bookstore, explore booksellers in the process. I'm back with Ben Goldfarb, author of Crossings, which is published by our friends at W.W. Norton and Company. Ben, how do you get around from place to place? What is your normal mode of transportation? <laughs> yeah, look, I, I spend a lot of time in the car, Jason, of course. I mean, in, you know, in, in Salida itself, you know, I, I'm definitely trying to walk and bike wherever possible. And that's one of the things that makes Salida a great place to live is just how walkable and, and bikeable it is. But look, obviously, you know, all of the great outdoor recreation that we we love here in Colorado is is accessed by car, right? That's how we get to, you know, trailheads and fishing holes and high lakes and ski mountains and and so on as we we drive there. And I'm, you know, I'm certainly uh as as uh guilty as that of that as as anybody. And you know, and, and that's something that I, I really try to, you know, I, I really feel like I, I go to pains to to make this distinction in the book that you know look I, I don't blame anybody for driving i do it i do it myself i've killed lots of animals and felt felt terrible about it mm-hmm. you know we live in this automotive world uh where we have to get around by driving much of the time uh and you know and and so we're all part of this this system and you know i, th- I think it's really imperative that we make the system less destructive right it's a you know it's, a, it's an infrastructural problem not really a a human behavioral problem and you know also the great paradox or irony of roads is that they they help us experience nature even as they destroy or, or impact nature right they're how we get to all of these great places and see the outdoors and experience wildlife you know the iconic american road trip is to a national park right mm-hmm. uh, and so you know roads for all of their negative impacts are, are also inextricable with the history of, uh, of of conservation in the united states as well and they've you know done a lot to create constituencies around the uh, the protection of special places by helping us access them. So you know, I, I definitely am, am uh, you know, even even though this book is certainly critical of of, uh, of car culture, you know, we're all we're all complicit in it, and uh, you know, I'm I'm certainly uh, I'm I'm as complicit in it as anybody. Yeah, for sure. Um, in your part of Colorado, is it is it very snowy? Is cross country skiing a, a mode of transport that's possible there? <laughs> <laughs> not not so much in town you know in Salida oh. we're kind of in the in the in the banana belt uh, you know here in the Arkansas Valley so that so the town you know we definitely get we get we, we get some snow but it's not like uh, you know Leadville or something where it's uh, snow covered uh, year year round so you can get around by cross country ski you know for the maybe the 48 hours after uh, we get dumped on and then it, uh, it it tends to melt pretty quick yeah right on thank you so much um moving on what is the Yellowstone to Yukon Conservation Initiative and what did you write about it yeah so the the Yellowstone to Yukon Conservation Initiative or or why to why is this this really cool concept that you know is in some ways what got me interested in this this subject uh it's basically the idea of creating this 
giant kind of continent spanning wildlife corridor, you know, from Yellowstone National Park all the way up uh, the Yukon, uh, you know, more than a thousand miles. And, you know, the idea is basically to create this sort of continuous swath of habitat that all of these wide ranging critters like grizzly bears and wolves and wolverines and caribou can move seamlessly through. And, and uh, you know, obviously roads are, are one of the big obstacles to that uh, that that movement through that that wildlife corridor you know there are all of these highways that cut through that that region and any partners have, have done a lot trying to uh you know build wildlife crossings you know overpasses and underpasses that allow animals to safely navigate uh, highways and and thus reconnect this giant swath of connected uh landscape for all of these uh these amazing uh, charismatic megafauna that uh live in that region yeah absolutely thank you so much um in what way ben were early roads at constant danger of being reclaimed by nature well you know i think i think i i what i what i meant by that is that mm-hmm. you know our, so the, the really the history of roads in some ways starts with 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 animals right that you know that, that many of our roads are the legacy of of old game trails that were created by by bison mostly uh you know which were which migrated in these enormous herds of course and created these really distinct uh animal trails and then you know those animal trails became native footpaths which became uh you know dirt roads and uh, and and gravel roads and eventually in, in some cases our interstate highway system mm-hmm. uh but you know those those early roads that you're talking about, you know, back when they were dirt and, you know, barely more than, uh, than, than footpaths, you know, they were constantly being, you know, washed out by storms or snow melt, or they'd, you know, turn into, you know, ice slicks or, you know, or dust baths. And, and, uh, and so they were, they were pretty, uh, you know, tenuous structures in a, in a lot of ways. And that really limited travel. Uh, and, you know, once the car shows up in the early 1900s, you know, there's this national movement to create high quality, often paved roads that can be used 12 months a year, you know, that aren't uh, sort of subject to the vagaries of of nature and weather and the and the seasons. Uh, and so, you know, in a lot of ways, the ecological destructiveness of roads begins with that that movement to create, you know, year round all weather roads that conquer nature uh, and allow humans to go wherever they want, whenever they want. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, the history of, of road building and road improvement is, you know, is really the history of us spreading the kind of the tendrils of our civilization into, you know, every single corner practically of the of the United States. You know, today it's impossible to get more than 20 miles from a road anywhere in the lower 48. So, you know, these these structures are, are truly everywhere. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. Um, a spinoff of that question, how long would it take current roads to be reclaimed by nature? That's a really good question. You know, it's it's an interesting one. That, that would be a good question. I don't know if you've read uh, the book, uh, The World Without Us by, yeah. by Alan Weissman. Um, yeah, I, I love that one, you know, which is great, which is this the kind of this wonderful thought experiment that I bet lots of listeners have read that basically says, what if humans disappeared tomorrow? You know, what would what would happen? Uh, and, you know, I think it would take a really long time for our, our roads to uh, to kind of melt into into the, the wilderness, uh, you know, in, in part because they're just look, they're just such they're so compacted. Right. I mean, yes, obviously, you know, I-70 is, is you know, sort of this huge hard surface, but even like, a you know, an old dirt logging road in the middle of, uh, you know, the White River National Forest is still so compacted 
and by so many years of tires passing over it that it's really difficult for you know any kind of uh, plant to take root there um which is why you know when the forest service does road decommissioning or closes roads you know in many cases it goes in with heavy machinery to actually chew up that compacted roadbed and and uh, you know let plants uh, start to start to take root a little bit so you know these these structures that we've built they're going to be with us uh you know for a, a really long time they're they're pretty uh, pretty durable features yeah for sure thank you so much ben um moving on to a different topic what were early rebellions against roads like for example there was a monument built i believe in st louis and some creative parade floats in pittsburgh Right. So, you know, it's it's funny to think that, uh, you know, today we, we think of, of America as this fundamentally car loving country. Right. But when when cars first appear in the early 1900s, you know, people hated cars. They were these kind of terrifying new technologies that were taking over cities, killing lots of people. I mean, they still kill lots of people. But, you know, back in the early 1900s, they didn't have any kind of safety features or seat belts. There was no road signage. People really didn't know how to drive. Not that we're all that good at it today. Uh, And so, you know, per capita pedestrian death rates were just, you know, astronomical, even much higher than they than they are today. Uh, And so, you know, people, again, they hated the car and they and they really mobilized against it. You know, there were all of these giant uh what they called safety parades these big mass demonstrations that you mentioned in cities like st louis and milwaukee and detroit and new york and pittsburgh where thousands of people were out there in the streets saying hey you know cars are terrible unless we need to reclaim our our cities uh from this you know this this terrifying new machine uh and you know in the context of my book i, I think that's interesting because that's really where this field of science road ecology comes from is from this this general societal anxiety about about the role of cars in 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 America you know in the in the, the early 1920s you know you see all of these uh, wildlife biologists driving around saying hey you know not only are cars killing a lot of people but look at all these dead garter snakes and ground squirrels and woodpeckers that's pretty concerning too right uh, so that's you know that's really where where road ecology comes from is is this again this broader societal concern about cars and their effects on humans kind of mm-hmm. spilling over into into wildlife and, and nature. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for that answer, Ben. Um, finally, and this is a big question here, as this is the topic of your entire book. Uh, but what oh is the, yeah, what is the way forward? Um, how do we reclaim our lives from pavement? Or, uh, forgive the pun, are we too far down this road to turn back? Yeah, it's, you know, it's such, it's such a good question and one that I, I really grappled with. I mean, I, I think that in some, to some extent, we're, we're too far down the road, yeah. um, right? You know, we have 4 million miles of, of road in the United States and, and, you know, the vast majority of them, uh, you know, aren't going anywhere. Um, but, you know, certainly there, there are things that we can, we can do to create a, you know, a better, saner society. Um, you know, look, I mean, what I always think about is, is, you know, you've got sort of like two categories of, of land in the U S you know, you've got our cities, right. And our, you know, we have these very car dominated cities. I mean, anybody's ever driven around, you know, the sprawl of Denver knows what a, you know, what a, what a crazy situation Mm -hmm. that is in a lot of respects and how car dominated it is. And so in our cities, you know, we need to create 
we need to create cities that are just, you know, more walkable, bikeable, better served by transit. We need to do whatever we can to get people out of cars in our urban areas and just create, you know, as you say, saner, more livable uh, urban spaces for, for humans. So certainly I, I, I'm a big believer in that. But at the same time, you know, in places like the Arkansas Valley, where, where I live, or, you know, the Roaring Fork Valley, where uh, where you guys are, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's I mean, it's just hard to imagine, uh, you know, the car going away, right? It's, you know, like we live out in these rural places with lots of, uh, you know, sort of widely distributed communities and people, you know, live up in the the wooey and, you know, that's not really going to change anytime soon, right? So, you know, in these kinds of situations, uh, you know, where you've got a highway running through the middle of, uh, you know, of, of the Arkansas or the Roaring Fork Valley, you know, we, we need those those wildlife crossings, you know, those overpasses, underpasses, tunnels, you know, these different structures that allow uh, animals to, you know, safely navigate our, our roadways. Because, you know, let's face it, cars, uh, cars just aren't going anywhere. And, you know, in the in the rural West, we're kind of stuck with them. And we need to retrofit our infrastructure to accommodate all of the other species that, uh, you know, are cars are, are affecting. And, and fortunately, that's, you know, that's starting to happen. Uh, just this week, you know, Colorado got a, a big, uh, I think, $22 million grant to build, uh, you know, a big overpass on uh, there's a fantastic group called Roaring Fork Safe Passages that's starting the process of advocating for wildlife crossings, uh, you know, in the Roaring Fork Valley. So, you know, there, there are lots of groups and agencies and organizations that are thinking about this problem. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's that's imperative because, again, you know, roads and our, our highways, especially here in the West, you know, are, are really one of the, the the biggest sources of biodiversity decline and ecological fragmentation. And, you know, we, we have to we have to address them. And I'll also add that, uh, you know, obviously these wildlife vehicle collisions are are dangerous for us humans, too. You know, nobody wants to hit uh, a deer or, or, or an elk. And, you know, there are hundreds of drivers killed in those crashes uh, every year around around the country and you know obviously they're huge they're hugely expensive incidences as well for the public so you know we can really save ourselves a lot of money in the long run as well as saving nature uh you know by building these uh these these wildlife crossings that we know are uh, extremely effective yeah absolutely ben and um i said that was the last question but i have one more spin off from that uh, in your opinion what are the best examples of uh, walkable, bikeable cities where you do not need an automobile? Hmm. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a, a nice a nice question. You know, I mean, I grew up I grew up in the the suburbs of New York City, so you know, I always feel like, of course, New York has the best uh, you know the best transit system in in the United States. You know, that's a really fantastic place. But you know, look, it's I mean, it's obviously New York is you know sort of the easy example. But you know, there are so many cities out there that are you know that are are making you know, subtle tweaks to 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 become more walkable, bikeable, and livable. You know, Cincinnati has has sort of like closed traffic on some streets, and you know, sort of turned uh, part of the downtown into a you know into a pedestrian mall, for example. You know, Tampa has done some of that, right? So it's not just like the giant you know metro areas like New York and Seattle and uh, you know San Francisco. There, you know, there are all of these smaller, mid-sized cities around the country that uh, you know are, are trying to do things better you know the final chapter of this book is about syracuse new york mm-hmm. um which uh, you know in the in the middle of the 20th century built uh this giant viaduct right through the heart of of the city and you know very deliberately built it you know through the middle of this this historic black community uh that uh, you know the white urban planners viewed as uh, as as undesirable and and uh you know and, and they displaced thousands of people in, in building this you know giant viaduct and you know now they're going through the process of 
beginning to sort of conceptualize how to tear down that that uh, that structure and you know and turn that neighborhood back into kind of a street level boulevard with you know towns and businesses and and uh, churches and and so on uh and so you know there are lots of cities that are kind of starting to go through this process of you know thinking about how to remove some of this historically destructive uh socially destructive infrastructure and and uh you know recreate urban cores that are are more amenable to human beings yeah absolutely i lived in san francisco for 10 years without a car and it was never, never <laughs> that's felt fantastic like yeah absolutely <laughs> um well yeah. thank you so much ben and thank you for writing this important and engrossing book listeners I've been speaking with Ben Goldfarb, author of Crossings, which is published by our friends at W.W. Norton and Company. Ben, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks a lot, Jason. Thanks for having me. Once again, I would like to thank Ben Goldfarb for joining me. Copies of Crossings can be purchased from www.explorebooksellers.com with free shipping for members of Explore More Plus. I would also like to thank our sponsor, Libro.fm Audiobooks. Please navigate over to Libro.fm and enter the promo code BOOKIN, that's B-O-O-K-I-N in the promo code space, to get one free audiobook and support your favorite local independent bookstore in the process. My name is Jason Jeffries, and this has been 